Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast, where we help people working in commercial real estate achieve their professional goals. Check us out online at CREsuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now here's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Hey there, welcome to episode seven. In season two of CRE Success, the podcast, my special guest today is Rana Kordahi. She is one of Australia's leading sales coaches. She's also a writer, she's a founder, and she's a TEDx speaker. You can catch her talk, How to Achieve Anything in Life by Learning How to Sell. Just look it up on YouTube and you can hear more of what she's got to say about selling on today's episode. So make sure you do stick around. But before we get into that, I do have a special announcement to make. In two days' time from today's release date, it is Juna's first birthday. Now, Juna is my daughter and first child with my wife, and we're obviously very, very excited that it is her first birthday coming up. So I want to take this opportunity to say, Sangil Chuka Hamnida Juna, which is happy birthday, Juna, in Korean. My wife's Korean, hoping that Juna speaks Korean and English really well. Juna, I hope you have a lovely day. All right. Rana and I will have a chat all about selling in 30 seconds. 90% of the world's data was generated in the last two years. Credia is a business intelligence and analytics tool for commercial real estate professionals. Using real-time insights, track key portfolio metrics and benchmark against the market so you can make faster and well-informed decisions. With live dashboards and bespoke reporting, impress both your executive team and your property clients. It's time to turn data into your most valuable asset with Credia from Released. And now it's time for the interview on CRE Success, the podcast. Rana, welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Darren. I feel honored. Rana, the first thing that we do is we ask our guests to step into the virtual elevator to give us their elevator pitch. Rana, who are you? I'm Rana. I'm a sales coach and I'm obsessed with making, helping people fall in love with sales and go out there and not fear it. And as well as bring abundance into their life through selling. Wonderful. Well, mm-hmm. one of your online courses is called Selling for Non-Sales People. And I want to start with that because I think that's really interesting because it assumes that people who do need to know about sales mm-hmm. don't want to be labeled as a salesperson. So why do you think people don't want to be labeled as salespeople? I think because selling has a bad connotation. And we've even seen this through Hollywood films like The Wolf of Wall Street and I forgot the other films, Glenn Gary, although they're really good. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. And in those films, they are showing a manipulation. And don't get me wrong, out there in the world of selling, there is level of manipulation. But these days, uh, salespeople can't get away with it any longer because now we have the internet. So your brand, your personal brand and your reputation is on thin ice. So if you lie, even if you're in a sales job, If you lie, they can go online and put your full name. And then if employers are going to look you up, they're going to find out that you're not obviously ethical. But there is two differences. There's two types of salespeople. You've got the pushy 1990s salesperson. And also you have a consultative type of salesperson. So the consultative is seeking to listen, build relationships, find a gap, solve your problems, be a trusted advisor help you with unique insights that you might need, acts of service where the pushy, it's all about that transaction. They want to make the sale and they move on to the next victim. 
it's always good to aim to be the second type. And if you are working in an environment where they are pushing you to become a pushy salesperson, I would ask myself, does this align with my values? And if they're selling products, and I've been in those situations where they're selling products that are not great and they are trying to teach us tricks, I kind of got out of the situations really fast as well. You don't teach any tricks? No, I don't. I've had sales managers of telemarketing firms come and say, oh, we need you to teach these guys. And I asked them and I realized that they wanted me to teach them things that were more of tricks. Now, don't get me wrong. I teach you frameworks. I teach you communication methods. I teach you psychology of how to communicate in the best way you can. These things are taught even in relationships, in your personal relationship, marriages, and even in your own workplace. So it's just basically good communication skills. All right, well, let's get into the frameworks then. And I've noticed that there are some similarities in terms of the curriculum in the way that I sort of work with my clients and the way that you work with your clients. And like me, you like to start with mindset, correct? Yeah, yeah, you need to do the inner work. It doesn't matter, yeah, what you know. You have to do the inner work. So what is the inner work? What does that mean? And how does that manifest itself in terms of a module that you would take your clients through? I'll give you an example of context of a relationship. Say you and your partner, your wife, you are trying to work on your relationship and then you read a book on conflict and how to communicate, right? And you're like, yes, I'm prepared. I can do this. I'm going to communicate with her and everything's great. But if you've got a childhood trauma and things, insecurities and things like that, and the time that comes that you're going to apply that, you're going to get triggered and you're not going to be applying any of that, right? Because you haven't done the inner work. And it's the same with sales. You could know all the sales techniques in the world. You could say, I know how to overcome objections. I know how to close. I know how to build rapport. But then you're going to be put in a situation or many situations where you're facing rejection. You have a lot of stress. You have a manager on your back. Or maybe you're an entrepreneur and you can't pay your wages or your rent because you have not done the mindset and inner work. All the skills you know in the world are not going to work. So it's important to do the inner work. I do go through specific concepts of what to do. Did you want me to take you through the concepts of the things? Yeah, I'd love to hear a couple of them, definitely. Okay, you know, the visualization, meditation, and things that you have to do in your own and in your own personal life because your personal life reflects on your professional life. But I go through five pillars when I am working with the participants on my sales courses. Pillar number one is when we're selling, we have to identify the impact that we're making. So, how is this product or service is going to change their life, their business? Is it going to help them in their business? Is it going to help them, could even help people save their marriage or save their health? Identify the impact that you're making to that consumer, then identify the impact that you're making to yourself when you are selling, how you're going to feel, and also identify the impact that you're making to your colleagues. Or if you have staff, obviously, when you sell more, you're going to help pay their wages, you're going to help create more jobs, and you're going to boost the economy. It's really important to identify the impact. Number two, the second pillar is we have to expect rejection and embrace it. Say, rejection is part of life. We are going to get rejected. Nothing's going to go perfect. And a lot of the sales calls that we make or even interactions, they are going to lead to a no. And not everybody's our customer. So once we embrace that, we accept it, it's not going to shock us and we're not going to be so affected by it. Of course, yeah, you do get affected a little bit, but not to the same level as somebody that is attached to the outcome of a yes. Number three, change the story. Changing the story from the minute you wake up in the morning, what are you telling yourself? From the minute you wake up, to when you get on the phone. And this starts with your personal life. And some people have been conditioning their minds for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, that they're not good enough. No one likes, the world sucks, life sucks, the government sucks. 
you have to change the story in your personal life and that when you get on the phone. What are you telling yourself before you get on the phone to make that cold call or before you go out door knocking, before you even go to that sales meeting? Are you saying, oh, my product's not good enough. No one's going to buy it. And these are some things that are very subconscious that you're not even aware of. And it's important to write those things down and create counter arguments. And I mean, these, if you've ever done any counseling or life coaching, you would kind of understand this concept. Number four is the physiology. The physiology affects your mind when you smile or when you frown, it sends a different message to your brain. So before you get on the phone or before you go to that sales meeting, change your physiology. How would a confident, happy person even breathe? How would they sit, uh, use their face, their voice, and start to model the body language and that physiology of somebody that's really happy. And then it will send messages to your brain that you're feeling great. And number five is develop a level of mastery because as they say, competence is confidence. So the more you get better at selling or business or whatever, knowing your product, the more confident you're going to feel. So those are the five pillars in a nutshell. Wow. That is awesome, Rana. Heard a few things there. Really taking responsibility, not blaming, like you said, you know, blaming the government, blaming the market or whatever it is. You've got to really just take responsibility, but also separating yourself from the results and Mm. not taking things too personally. I love the stuff about purpose. There's also, I think, related to that inner voice that's in your mind about money doesn't grow on trees, for example. And if you've got that belief that maybe it's bad to become rich and make money, then you might not be able to get the full results that you're looking for because you might have some of those deep held beliefs that perhaps you're hanging on to from what your parents told you from when you were a kid and stuff like that. Physiology, yep, definitely put your shoulders back, take a deep breath, do those power stances before you make a call or you go into a meeting and mastery. I mean, the commitment to be the best that you can be at something. That's all really, really great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Love, love it. I'm, imp- I'm impressed you were listening to everything I said. <laughs> I was writing down furiously. Oh, good. Now tell me, I think one thing about selling is that some people look at it as like you were talking about trickery or trying to get someone to do something that they maybe don't want to do. Whereas you can approach it also from the perspective of helping or solving How do you kind of get your clients to think about it in that way so they feel more comfortable when it comes to making approaches to their clients? How do you get your clients feeling more that they are helping and solving rather than selling? It's that number one pillar. Identify the impact that your product or service is making. The more you identify how it's helping them, how it's saving their health, maybe saving their marriage, saving them time, How is saving them time going to help them in their life? There are some people that might not have time to do specific things because they don't have your product or service. And then at the end of the day, that time is going to impact their mental health. The deeper you can go into that impact that you're making, the easier it's going to know that you're helping somebody. And you won't be ashamed to make those cold calls or go out and approach those businesses. Like for me, I know there's a lot of businesses out there that have sales and non-sales people that don't want to pick up the phone or are scared or like there was one lady, she worked in employment services, disability employment, and her job is not a salesperson, but she had to make cold calls to market her job seekers to employers. She was telling her therapist about how horrific that part of her job was. When I pick up the phone and I'm calling these managers that work in employment services or the decision makers, I very confident in what I'm doing is going to help them. And because I've had the results and I've seen people change and through my sales training, I've seen their behavior change and their confidence 
increase, I don't have that shame that I'm bothering them. Obviously, also you have to get confident. So in the beginning, if you say you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a service, you might not be aware that you could have that impact. Me personally, I did a few free courses and I did some free coaching and then I, my prices weren't so high. Slowly, I started to increase my prices every year, the better I got. But then through the testimonials and case studies, I was very confident that I have what it takes to be able to help people. And sometimes if you're selling something that you don't believe in and you've got no control over it because you work for somebody, then you should not be in that job. I've gone to sales teams and they have great products and services, but there's always that one person that doesn't believe in the product. And I can always tell in the sales training, I'm very blunt. I say, if you don't believe in your product or if you don't believe in the service that you're selling, I would not be there. I would leave. And their managers are like, oh, we didn't hire you for the, and I said, trust me, you don't want this person selling for you unless they believe in that. And sometimes I do work with them for them to turn them around and believe. And many times they do start believing in what they're selling because they never considered the impact that they're making. Yeah. I was going to ask you specifically about, you do need to believe in the product you're selling in order to sell it truthfully and with the proper intention. And I think what's interesting about that is if you don't believe in what you're selling, then it could be that you just don't understand the product that you sell. The better that you understand the product that you sell, the better you're able to communicate its benefits and you know, the transformation that it can bring to your clients. So that could be part of it, isn't it? Like just getting to know the product better, that could be the solution as opposed to not believing in it. And then if you do more work and you just don't believe in it, then as you've said, the company is better off moving that person on. And as an individual, they're better off finding something that sets light their passion for whatever it is that they want to do in life. Yeah. And not everyone's cut out for even selling, or maybe they just don't see the benefits. But I always say just because For example, say you're selling $12,000 first class plane ticket, right? Maybe you might not see the benefit in that, but somebody else will. But most people base their values on those people just because they won't spend a lot of money on specific things or they might not spend $10,000 on a coaching doesn't mean that someone else won't. So it's also important to kind of get out of the mindset of seeing the world from your lens and seeing the world from the way you value things And some people have an issue selling things, especially when they don't see the value. And that doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't see the value in what you're selling. Well, I think one thing that sales professionals can get caught up on is how often do you follow up? Which channels do you use? And I know it's complicated. It depends on obviously where they're at, at their customer journey, what type of product or service you are selling. But what advice do you have for clients when it comes to how often you should contact potential prospects, how quickly you should be returning calls? how quickly you should be contacting them after you have an unreturned phone call or message that you left with them. Okay. So you just reminded me about a lead that came through this morning. I haven't contacted them, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but because obviously I'm running a business, so it's very hard. But if you a salesperson, you have to get on top of them. I don't know, within the 10 minutes, if you can, Okay. no longer than an hour, because what happens is when they are interested to buy, it's they're still warm and hot and they want to buy and maybe then they become more cold. Also your competitor. So I purchased a car like years ago, a secondhand car, because the first, I made a few inquiries, a few different cars within the price range. And it was the first car dealer that called me that I went to see because I had no time. And they called me within 10 minutes where the others like called me six hours later, 10 hours later, one called me a week later. And I'm thinking, no, I wanted to purchase a car right then and there. That was my day off. I needed to go and see some cars. Does that make sense? Did you say now that's with the 
inbound coming in to you. But yes. when you're doing outreach, which a lot of salespeople don't like, it's not their favorite thing to do. It's important to understand where they are in the pipeline and also in the funnel. Where are they at? Like, are they in the awareness, interest? Are they in the consideration? What am I going to do with this lead? Firstly, if it's a lead, I need to make sure it's qualified. How do I qualify it? I look at my customer persona and what do they need to have for them to qualify? Okay, so do they have the budget? Do they have the authority? Do they have the need? And do they have the time? And also a persona goes beyond, could be the company size. It could be the vision, the mission, the types of business that I want to work with, et cetera. We focus on that for them to qualify. But then obviously I have to, when I'm moving them through my pipeline, not everyone's contactable in the same ways. Cold calling is not dead. Why is Clubhouse so popular? Because people really connect with people's voices. It's the second best thing after face-to-face or video. The first preference is face-to-face or Zoom. And then there's that phone. Do outreach. Read the book called Combo Prospecting. It's written by Tony Hughes. I always talk about it. Have I ever told you about it, Darren? No. Okay, so Tony Hughes has something called combo prospecting. So combo prospecting, you do three actions within 90 seconds. So you would pick up the phone, you'll make a call, it goes to voicemail, you leave a voicemail. So you've called, that's action one. Voicemail is action two. And then you send an email very quickly. Hey, I tried to contact you, would love to speak to you. I'll follow up with you next week. And this is action three. And you do all these combinations within 90 seconds. Now, his reasoning is that if you just make a cold call, you don't leave a voice message, you're going to get in touch or one out of 50 decision makers' attention because a lot of them don't answer their phone or they're busy, right? But if you do these three actions within 90 seconds, you're going to get maybe one out of 10 people or one out of 15. I can't remember the exact number, but one out of a smaller number decision makers' attention. Yeah. You're just increasing your odds of getting their attention. Yeah. And the thing you want to do is you want to qualify them in or out of your pipeline. So it's either yes, maybe, or no. If it's yes, then I'm going to set a meeting with them. If it's a maybe, I'm going to follow up, stay on top of mind. If it's a no, I can either cycle them out for 90 days or 120 days and follow up. Maybe things have changed. or I can just put them in my nurturing list where they stay on top of mind and they come back to me or I can just qualify them 100% out of my pipeline. But the thing is, we have to try and get in front of people and talk to them and hear a no and be ready to hear a no because we don't want to have a full good pipeline where it makes us feel good, but they're not qualified. When you're doing your pipeline activities, have a combination of different prospecting strategies, hunting, but also we have farming, which is your LinkedIn, your social media, which you're sharing content, what I'm doing now, I'm farming, right? I'm on your podcast. I'm here on Clubhouse and you're recording this podcast. You're going to put it out. And maybe who knows, there could be somebody interested in sales training. And also you're farming yourself because you're building your reputation and your brand and you're giving a lot of value. Yeah. I call it this sort of that soft outbound. And then there's the more direct outbound and direct outbound would be a, you know, a direct message, an email, a phone call, whereas that soft outbound is sort of putting some things out there, generating content, and then hopefully generating some interest and awareness of the brand, which then leads to opportunities in the future. I know that you have a big following on LinkedIn, over 50,000 people. They're all real followers because I could see that people actually engage with your posts. And you've got, I think, 6,000 on Instagram when I checked before today's conversation. Now, I guess 
part of it is making sure you have touch points, right? And that's your farming strategy. Specifically, what have been your strategies to build up a strong following on these platforms? I intuitively knew LinkedIn when I started using, I don't know, 10 years ago that it was good to connect with the people that I want to do business with or I want to have a job with. So that's the type of people I connected with before I even knew about social selling. I used to connect with these people. I didn't do any content. I just connected with them. And sometimes I have chat with them. And I'm sure a lot of people do this intuitively anyway. What I then discovered was a guy called Gary V. And I, you know, yep. Gary V. Yep. Gary Vaynerchuk. Yep. yep. And then he's like all about build your personal brand and all this stuff. And then I did a course with this guy called JT Fox. I don't know if you know him. Oh, yes. Yes. I've heard okay. So his course was really good. So I did his course and it was all about branding and building your brand and all this kind of stuff. And this is, I don't know, maybe five years ago now. And no, four years ago. And I had my business for a while. And when I first had my business, I didn't want to have a brand. I used to hide behind my logo. When I used to write articles, sometimes I didn't put my name on the article. I was just very embarrassed because I felt like I was showing off. So everything I ever did with personal branding was through my company logo. And then with these two guys, Gary V, JT Fox, they kind of hammered into me. You have to put your face, you are the brand, people buy people. And yeah, I got out of my comfort zone. And that's when I started my LinkedIn journey. But my content and following would not happen without connecting with really people on there who help me because the algorithm on LinkedIn works. If you want your content to get out there is when people like it within the first hour. So you have to kind of send out your content to people, tag people or have an agreement with people that we're going to support each other without people supporting you. You're not, your content's just going to die on LinkedIn because LinkedIn kills your content. If not enough people like it within the first hour, I like to share that with everybody because I think it's important. So when you write content to be supporting other people and then say, Hey, look, I'd love to support your content. Can you support mine? I've got somebody now with almost a million followers on LinkedIn that supports me. And I supported him when he had no followers and I helped him and I gave him a bit of advice. And now he grew his LinkedIn to a million, almost a million followers at the moment. Every time he likes my content, it does really well. Without people, we can't, we're not going to grow. And when you started putting your face out there, did that represent a turning point in your business? Like, did you notice that your business started to grow after uh, that? Yes. So in my business, I did have a good reputation, but I don't have to work as hard now to build my authority. If you know Robert Caldini, one of his principles of influence is authority. Sometimes I send cold emails to people and they say, oh yeah, I've been following you. I can't believe you contacted me. And I'm thinking, I'm the one that's cold emailing you. I'm bothering you. So I've already built trust with them. In sales also, for us to build trust, it takes time. Sometimes you have to get there and meet them face-to-face and build rapport. But I was able to build virtual rapport with so many people before I was able to even meet them face-to-face. And many times they even make that decision that they want to buy from you even before they meet you because they've been following your content and they've been building that impression about you and what they think about you before they even met you, especially when you do video. Tell me about, you've done a lot of personal branding work in your content. And I've noticed that sometimes you talk about personal things. Like I've heard you talk about fitness. I've heard you talk about dating. I know you did some content on the 75 hard challenge that you completed recently. I've had a look at your videos, Rana. So did you see me talking about dating? Oh my God. that's embarrassing. I know that you sort of tie some of these topics back to the skills of selling, discipline, building rapport, presenting the best version of yourself, engagement, et cetera. 
But I also presume that it's also about building a more personal connection with your audience. So can you tell me a little bit about your content plan? How intentional is it? Is it just you being, I know it's you being yourself, but Mm. how much of it is planned out and how do you sort of go about the strategy of content planning? So to be honest with you, my content's not planned out. Okay. It's just, I do it when I feel like it and it's not consistent. And that's the thing I like. I mean, it's, I've been consistent, don't get me wrong, but it's not consistent. Like the guy that built his almost 1 million followers, he's consistent. He posted twice a day. He's been doing it now for three years and he's never missed a day. And he comments on everything and he has a plan and he's built a really good brand. Yeah. So for me, it's not consistent, but I know what I need to do. I know that I need to, number one, what is the pain that a lot of my customers have? And how can I solve it? And also I do connect 80% of my LinkedIn connections are people in companies that I want to do business with, or I've done business with, or my current clients at the moment. When I'm sharing content, it's speaking to them. At the same time, I do share personal things, but I don't get too personal because one of the coaches that I had, he said, people, and it never left me. He said, and maybe it's debatable, but he said, people on LinkedIn, People would follow you and you'll get a lot of followers and applause for sad stories. Fine. He said, you can do it here and there. It's important. But he said, if you're just always about sad, 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 sad to get attention, he said, but most people are not, don't want to do business with people that have more problems than them. Mm. So if you have a sad story, make sure that it's, you've recovered. You've got a positive outcome. But there are some people, all they talk about is their sad story. And then they get a lot of followers. They're not building that credibility. There's a fine line between being authentic and using the platform like it's counseling session. I think you've hit on an interesting point, which is the difference between victimhood and vulnerability. And yeah, I like the difference. It's okay to be vulnerable sometimes, but if you're constantly on there talking about how tough your life is, you might be giving off victim vibes, which isn't really the best way to attract the customers that you might want to attract and project the image that you're looking to create. Yeah. And I mean, people always would have unconscious bias. So at the end of the day, even though they say they're not judging, they will still judge a little bit. So it's about using your story, but not making it part of your identity. Good advice. Good advice. Rana, if our listeners want to follow your content, how can they do that? Follow me or connect with, I don't like saying follow me, connect with me. I like that word better. Connect with Rana on LinkedIn Connect or me. Instagram. LinkedIn yeah. is the best place. Yeah, but I'm guessing you'll put that in your show notes as well. So oh, I will now. You've told me to. So. <laughs> Isn't um, that what they usually do? <laughs> Rana, it's been uh, great to talk to you today. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge on this episode of CRE Success, the podcast. Thank you so much, Darren. It was great chatting with you. For more information about our guest, visit cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now a final thought from Darren Krakowiak. Thank you, Rana, for being here. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Very interesting that the first module that Rana rolls out when she does her training course is all about mindset. And mindset is the first of the seven keys to success in commercial real estate. This is a new framework that I'm rolling out. I've never, ever done this series of presentations before, and I'm going to be doing it by going live on YouTube, Facebook, also on LinkedIn from next week. If you'd like to know exactly when I'm going live, also, if you'd like to receive the resources that will help you 
level up in each one of those seven keys, which are the seven keys to success in commercial real estate, all you've got to do is register your interest. It's all free and it's available on CREsuccess.co forward slash membership. Go there now, register your interest, and you will get everything that is coming over the next few weeks about the seven keys to success in commercial real estate. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I will speak to you soon. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to leave us a five-star review. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at cresuccess.co. Now the world of work has changed, everyone's looking for new ways to add flexible working into their plans and portfolios. Hub Australia is the national expert in premium flexible workspaces that offer five-star hospitality service. Hub Australia is already partnering with leading developers, Brookfield and Amalgamated Property Group to deliver the future of work for their tenants. Head to hubaustralia.com to learn more about Australia's leading flexible workspace experts.